Father God, we recognize as we begin to talk about business basics that all the things that we talk about, all the things that we manage are really yours. You're the owner. And that's really good news. And so I pray that as we go through this class and have this conversation this morning, you will be with us. Help us to learn what is appropriate for our situation. In Jesus' name, amen. I've put up on the screen for you just a little bit more about my history, my stops along the way. So I'm an accountant and a finance person by training. These are the these six bullet points are the companies that I have worked for over my 30-year career. The point that I want to make about this slide that will be obvious to all of you in the room probably is that none of them are in agriculture, right? I'm definitely a newcomer to the agriculture field. And so the engagement that the Silers and I have had together over the last nine months on the Better Together Farm constitutes the majority of my exposure to the agriculture industry. The thing that's been really fun about that for me, we've done some business work, and you're going to hear much about that um, during the course of this morning's conversation. But most of the time that I spent there, I actually got um, into the dirt and into the weeds, so to speak. I um, was helping them with farm operations. And it's been a wonderful experience. And through the course of that nine months, I begin to kind of catch the, the, the vision or the energy that I know drives a lot of you and brings you to conferences like this and to consider or invest in agriculture in the way you have. So it's been a really fun experience. I put my contact information up there on the screen as well. So if you have questions or want to contact me for any reason after the course is over, please feel free to do so. Okay, so... I'd like to just check a little bit about who's here, and basically what I'm trying to understand is the level of, I don't know, engagement or how deep you've gone into the um, agriculture as a business model, okay? So I'm going to ask three questions. The first one is, do you consider yourself or are you in a situation where your farm, your agriculture business is your primary source of income, okay? Primary source if it, if it contributes more than half your household budget. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. So yeah, go ahead and raise your hand if you're in that spot. So there's a few of you. Okay, if you're not in that spot, but you're seriously considering being in that spot, or you're on your way to being in that spot, just not quite there yet, please raise your hand. Okay, so probably a quarter to a third of you. And the rest of you presumably are here for some other reason. I won't ask you to raise your hand. And hopefully, the, business, or the, the presentation is geared for those two groups of people. Hopefully you find something useful and valuable, even if you're not in one of those two groups. The format and the method we will be using today is a case study approach. I want to explain a little bit about the case study approach because it's not necessarily the same as other presentations you might hear, and I just want you to know what you're getting and what you're not getting in this approach. So the case study approach uses a real life story to demonstrate the relevance and application of selected principles, and that's the key point right there. A case study approach is not like a textbook where you're going to get a survey of all the concepts, all the theory, a list of all the things you have to think about. That's a very valid approach to learning and instruction. It's just not what we have today. In a case study approach, we're going to take selected principles and apply them in a real live setting. And the benefit of doing that is you get, it's a little easier to connect sometimes if you have a live story because you can put yourself in that person's shoes. And it's also a little you know, deeper. You spend more time on a narrower set of principles, so you probably have a better chance of understanding and assimilating them. But just so you know, it's not going to be a comprehensive list of all the things you need to think about in business based. So I just wanted you to understand that. The other thing let me mention at this point, um, this slide, I, I gave a few things in the handout or the, 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 I guess it's a handout that was circulated in advance. 
those, I have a lot more slides than just that, but if you see slides like this one that has underlines and, and then words fitting in the blanks, usually they're associated with the handout. So if you're following that, you can take note when you get those slides and make notes as you like. Okay, let me introduce um, the, the group that we'll be using for our case study, the family. Better Together Farm is uh, a family farm. This is the Seiler family, and let me introduce the family to you. You'll see some of them here during the presentation today. On the far, yeah, the far left is Alan. Alan was just up here a moment ago. Um, and you may have bumped into him in some other way. Alan is what I would loosely call the founder of the farm. It was his energy and, and drive as a teenager that kind of steered the family in this direction. By the way, like all small businesses that are run by families, everybody does everything, right? So the roles are kind of the things I'm going to use in introducing each of these folks. Just describe things that they spend most of their time doing, but they're not rigid roles. You just can't survive in a small business having rigid roles. Alan is the founder. I would also describe Alan as the uh, soil scientist um, manager. Occasionally we call him the soil scientist fanatic because he thinks about it so much, but most of the time we just call him the soil science manager. But he's really into soil fertility, also the construction manager and designer. Um, next to him, it's all... You've already met Alan. Next to him is Aubrey. Aubrey is the farm CFO. She keeps the books for the farm. She's also the customer service manager. So whenever a customer has a, you know, a complaint or question they want to ask, Aubrey is usually the one that um, they talk to. And Aubrey, just raise your hand. You'll get to meet Aubrey a little bit more, but she's here as well. In the middle are Vivian's parents. They are not with us today. That's Elias and Amelia Lopez, but they live on the farm as well in a separate house. Elias comes down on market days, and maybe other days too, but at least on market days he'll come and help uh, put the orders together. I also refer to Elias as the chief storyteller. He's got a story for every occasion, and it's just a riot to listen to him, so um, I really appreciate Elias. And Amelia has a very important role. She makes lunch on market days for the entire crew, and she has become one of my very favorite people over the course of my time there because she makes awesome lunches. Uh, so that's Amelia. Then uh, following across the screen, Ricky um, is also here. Ricky, just raise your hand. And Ricky is um, primarily the, I call him the operations manager. He's kind of taken over the whole, you know, getting the field work done and getting the, the beds cultivated and planted and all of that. That's a loose definition, but that's where he spends a lot of his time. He's also the sales manager. So he's done, um, particularly with, um, like, restaurants and, and um uh, grocery stores, those relationships are the ones he's cultivated. You'll hear from him a little bit about that later in today's presentation. And Vivian's not in the room, but she will be shortly. Vivian is the family CFO. She keeps the family books and the family budget. And she's also spun up a flower operation just in the last year. So she's the, the flower tender, which has been uh, a real interesting twist and a nice addition to the Better Together Farm. So let me tell you a little bit more about the farm, having met the people. Uh, this is an organic vegetable farm, and uh, I say plus because they also grew strawberries, I believe, for the first time last year. There's strawberries in the ground this year. And then the flowers, which I mentioned just a moment ago, are in addition to the product mix. But it's primarily organic vegetables. Uh, and they have about a 10-year history, depending on how you count the start date, but approximately 10 years they've been doing this in some form or another. They're located on 15 acres in south-central Oklahoma. So from here, it's actually just about three hours north. It's right up the road from Dallas to Oklahoma City, about um, 50 miles north of the Texas border into southern Oklahoma. That's where this farm is located. The markets that they serve are in two counties. Murray County is the county where the farm is located. Murray County has about 15,000 people. 
So it's a very rural, small town sort of uh, county. And then Carter County is the county immediately to the south of Murray County, and they also serve that county. Carter County has about 50,000 people, with its biggest city, Ardmore, of 25,000 people. So that gives you a little bit of the feel for the market environment in which they operate. The largest industries in our region are um, agriculture, and when I say agriculture, it's not the kind of agriculture we do here, it's cattle, running cattle, and oil and gas. Those are really two of the biggest economic drivers of our, um, our region. And finally, I don't know that there's an official mission statement for the farm, but through all of the you know, soft uh, informal conversations and, and the thinking that I've watched the Seiler family do over the years, it's really clear to me that their mission is about developing relationships. And I could have put developing relationships with individuals. They really want to have that contact with their customers, their market, with a kingdom focus, right? With the idea that through these relationships, they could either reinforce somebody's faith or perhaps by God's grace, even bring somebody into a faith relationship with Christ. So that's a little bit about the Better Together Farm, and that's the group that we'll um, be working through these topics with today. Here's what we'll do. We have four modules. The first two, called What Will It Take and Demystifying the Budget, are primarily about money and money sorts of things. So we'll do those two first, and as Alan said in the introduction, if you have questions along the way, if you want to see you know, want me to define something more that's on the screen or, or any kind of clarifying questions, feel free to just raise your hand and we'll take them as we go. But we have specifically some extended Q&A time built into the schedule after those first two modules and then again at the end. And those are your moments where you can ask about anything up to that point or if we have time, you know, anything even if it's not directly related to the story we're telling here, if you want to ask those questions, uh, we'll take those during Q&A time. Okay. So a couple of things so you won't be surprised about how I tend to lead conversations like this one. First of all, I'm not shy about inviting attendees to speak. Now, for those of you who are strongly introverted, you probably just had a panic moment right there, okay? So let me tell you the other piece of that. While I'm not shy about inviting somebody to speak in front of the group, neither will I be the least bit offended if you just say, I'll pass, or I'm not ready to talk, or I don't have anything to say at the moment. Any of those are fine, right? I don't do this because I'm trying to make somebody uncomfortable. I just have observed over the course of my attending groups and sitting in the seat where you are, that if I can overcome that kind of inertia and speak something that's on my mind, and I tend to be, believe it or not, I, I don't tend to be one that, that uh, talks a lot in large groups. I tend to be a little skittish. And when I do, my heart races and pumps, right? It's like, oh no, this is terrible. So maybe some of you can identify with that line of thinking. But when I do, I always remember what I said. And I remember it much more clearly because I've gone through the process of articulating it, saying it out loud in front of other people. And that's an experience I want to invite as many of you as I can into because I think you'll derive more benefit from the conversation if you actually speak something that's on your mind. Now, we'll have a couple of settings. We'll be able to do that. I may do that in, you know, in a large group. I'm not even sure how well it's going to work if I get out from behind the mic and, and do that. But uh, that's just something you shouldn't be surprised about. Okay, so I wanted to warn you in advance. The other thing I want to do is have uh, some time where you have conversations uh, in smaller groups. Okay, So we'll have two or three spots, actually three spots, throughout the presentation where I'm going to invite you to go into a small group and discuss a question. Okay, And so what I'd like to do now is just kind of organize ourselves and make sure we've got those groups in play. So 
what we'll do is I want to in, um, invite you to identify um, a group that you can be a part of. Two or three people I'd recommend. I'm not going to enforce that. If you want to do more, that's fine. But I wouldn't encourage you going more than three because then you just don't have as much time to share as I think would be valuable, right? So it may be a little bit challenging in this setting because we've got masks and we need to keep our distance and we all need to talk loud enough for the person we're talking to to hear without making it so loud that the rest of the group can't hear. But let's do the best we can. And if we need to shift chairs a little bit during those sharing times so that we take more advantage of the space and get where you can hear somebody, that's fine. But what I'd like to do at the moment is just take a couple of minutes and have you get in a group with somebody. Normally, if this weren't a... Uh, a COVID environment, I would encourage you to get together with somebody you haven't met before. But that is a little more risky. And so if that's something you don't want to do, what I would say is get in a group that you're comfortable with. Okay. But let's just take a minute and do that right now. If you're going to be in a group with someone you haven't met, introduce yourself. And Siler family, if you would just help me, I want to make sure everybody's paired up. You don't need to take a long time, maybe just a minute or two, but I want to make sure that everybody's got that group so we're ready to go. Okay. Has everybody got that? Okay, folks, I think everybody's in a group. So let's go ahead and come back together. You'll get plenty of time to chat with one another as we go through the day. One other thing let me encourage at the beginning, and then we, uh, we'll get into the, uh, the first of our modules. Um, I encourage you as you're describing your situation, whether it's a, a live situation or something you think about, to use numbers in communicating about your situation wherever possible. There's a natural tendency that I've observed over time um, when we talk about numbers. Not everybody has it. And... I'm kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. I talk in numbers probably when I shouldn't be talking in numbers. But there's a lot of us that just are a little uncomfortable talking about numbers, particularly when it's talking about money. And when we do that, we lose some of the power and some of the focus of the communication. Like you've heard the expression, he's making money hand over fist, right? That's an expression that to one person might be true if somebody got $1,000, and to somebody else wouldn't be true unless it was $100,000, right? You see the relative nature of that expression? And so if you use a number to describe a situation, it can really be helpful and efficient. Now, I'm not suggesting that you use numbers to describe everything, okay? But sometimes numbers are really useful. So I just want to encourage that type of communication. We'll be sharing numbers as we talk about the Better Together Farm situation, and I hope that encourages you, whether it's today or in your conversations after today about your situation, to, to get a good handle on your numbers and not be shy about using numbers in your communication. Okay, so module one is entitled, What Will It Take? I looked up the survival rates of new businesses, and I wanted to um, just take some, some answers or guesses. Maybe some of you know these or have seen these numbers before, maybe not. But we've got survival rates that I'm going to put up here for businesses at various lengths of time. The first one is two years, okay? So does anybody know or want to take a guess about how many businesses are still alive two years after they start? How much? 20%. 20%. Okay. Um, it's a little bit higher. Thank you for answering 20%. And when we get close enough, I'll just go ahead and put it up on the screen. A little bit higher. Anybody else want to take a shot? It's higher than 20%. 30%. Yeah, uh, that's closer, but not quite there yet. Thanks. Victor, right? I'm going to call on your names when I can. Sir, in the back. 50%. 50%. That's getting much closer, but it's actually a little higher than 50%. Wow. Yeah, things are better than we thought, huh? I'm not sure this is going to communicate the message I want, but that's all right. We'll keep going. Higher than 50%. I'm going to... 
70%. That's actually fairly close. And you're Pam, right? Yeah, I just want to, hopefully you won't be offended if I say your names. I just want to try and learn names when I can. 65%, about two-thirds of businesses um, survive for two years. Okay, the number at five years, I'll give you a hint, is lower than 65%. Okay, does anybody want to take a guess about what that number is? At five years, how many are left? 45, very close. Actually, it's 50%. And... Yeah, good answer. How about 10 years? What do you think, 10 years? Um, let's see, pardon, who called? 30%? Yeah, it's actually a little bit higher than 30%. You see a pattern here, don't you? About a third of businesses uh, are still left standing at the end of 10 years. And our last one is 15 years. 15 years, anybody wanna take a guess at that number? 20%, very close. It's a little bit less than 25%. And I got these numbers off of a graph, so they're all kind of loose, but it gives you a basic idea. Okay, so there's a little bit of a story. Now, these are businesses across all industries, but certainly I think the dynamics of starting a farm are similar in many respects to the business, uh, to the task of starting a business in another industry. In a similar vein, I looked up on Investopedia website, the top six reasons new businesses fail. Okay, anybody want to take some guesses at what might be on that list. Too little money, and that is one of the reasons. I, these only come up in order, so I'm going to tell you that that one's number three. There's a couple that are above it. Okay, anybody else? Victor? One of the ones. It's a good one, but it's not one of the ones. Sir? Mark? Personnel. Say again? Personnel. Personnel. Yeah, no, that's not one of the top six. Okay, in the back. Okay. So, say again, not enough, not enough market research. Yes, that's actually right. The number one reason, which you'll see as soon as uh, we recover from the screen that I just knocked over, sorry about that, is failure to investigate the market, right? So many, I've heard this phrase used in many new businesses that are thinking of starting up, they're looking for a product market fit, right? Many business owners have the tendency to assume because they love a product, they love their product, that the market will also, but that's not always true, right? Okay, so failure to investigate the market. What else? Number two is one that hasn't come up yet. Anybody have any guesses about that? Yes. Planning. Nailed it. Exactly right. A poor or uh, an inadequate business plan. That's number two. Number three is inadequate capital or money. That's the one that we had just a minute ago. So any more guesses? And at some point, I'll just uh, spend the rest of them out. But any other thoughts? There's a couple areas we haven't covered yet. Lack of mission or vision. Lack of mission or vision. Uh, that's not listed as such, as one. But that would certainly be related to this number two, um, a poor business plan or inadequate business plan. OK. Say again, expenses. Yeah. I would describe that as part of this number three, inadequate capital and money. But yeah, more money going out than money coming in, yeah, that's definitely a problem, and that can be a problem or a reason that businesses don't make it. Okay, let me just go ahead and give you the rest. Number four is poor location, internet presence, and marketing. Very closely related to number one, which is a failure to investigate the market, but this has more to do with tactics. You know, getting yourself near or in a place where your customers can find you, 
either physically or on the internet and so forth. Number five is one you might not have guessed. Remaining rigid. Anybody surprised to see that up there? Or does that actually fit what you've experienced? Yeah, okay, so there's a few of you nodding your heads. Yeah, remaining rigid, one of the top six reasons that businesses fail. And then the last one, expanding too fast. Yeah, expanding too fast. You can imagine how that works if you, um, you, know, if you get a, a good hit with an initial product and then suddenly you think you should double your size in a year. That takes a lot of time and money and resources and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Okay, so one other slide I wanna put up that um, has to do with uh, the success and the, and the issues of starting a business is a slide from this Entrepreneurship 101 series that's put out by Diego Footer. Diego does a podcast called Farm Small, Farm Smart. Any of you familiar with Diego's podcast? A few of you. So back in February when I was first starting with the Better Together Farm, I listened to all of these. He was just putting them out at that time. And I thought that looking at the titles was another interesting way to think about the challenges that new businesses face, right? So if you look at these titles, you'll see some of the same things not all of them, but some of the same things that were on the previous slide. Financial challenges, marketing challenges. He even has one in which he uses the same language, rigidly adhering to ideology. You see that in the bottom right. That rigidness is an issue. The other thing that Diego put in his titles and in his content that I really liked is the challenge, how difficult it is to start a new business. There's so many demands, there's so many risks, there's so many things that co can go wrong that it just takes consistent, sustained effort over time to make it. Most of the time, for most of us, that's the way it is. And so he actually puts in a, a whole title, not accepting how hard it is. And I think that theme is very germane. It's a useful, useful thought when it comes to thinking about um, starting a farm or um, any business, but we're talking about farming today in particular. So in one of his podcasts, it's the one entitled, It Might Not Be a Fit Now, he says it this way, businesses, including farms, may fail because the owners don't have three things, the time, the skills, and the money. And so time and skills are things I'm not going to spend a lot of time on in this class. You'll get skills training in other places. I think most people understand what the time issue is. But we're going to focus specifically on money. And the, what, what I would say, a couple things about the money piece of this challenge is that given how difficult it is to get into a new business, to assimilate all of the things you have to do to deliver your product or to deliver your service, to understand your market so that you're producing product or service that um, people in your market want and are willing to pay for, all of those things take time. Money, if you don't have enough of it, will not allow you to have that time. So having enough money buys you time, and I'm not talking about like an hour and a day, but it buys you six months or a year or two years or five years, whatever it may take, to learn the skills. And if you don't have enough of it in reserve, you really run the risk that you won't learn the skills or assimilate fast enough and your business will fail. The other thing that he talked about that I think is particularly useful to understand is that when money is inadequate and when you don't have that picture in mind and you haven't counted the cost before you go into the business, the stress level can be extremely high, right? And the way our financial system is these days, it's very easy to be beyond the point of no return and not know it, 
until you've already racked up a bunch of credit card debt or until you've borrowed all the money that you possibly can from friends and family or whatever things there are. You can really dig yourselves a pretty deep hole, right? And the stresses that come with that can be really heartbreaking. He said, when he said, I've seen families break up over this issue, that's what really caught my attention. And that, to me, is really sad and heartbreaking. And so that's where we're going to spend most of our time, particularly in these first two modules, is providing a framework for how to assess whether your money supply, whether your money planning is adequate for what you have in mind. That's really the goal. Okay? So let me do this. What we'll do is I'm going to give you a little bit of case history from the Better Together Farm in this area. Then I'm going to introduce a question, and I want to invite you to get in your groups and talk about the question a little bit. And then when we're done with the question, we'll come back together. And I'd like to do some sharing with the larger group after you've had a chance to share uh, in groups. Okay, so the case history for Better Together Farm, I mentioned earlier that they had had a history of about 10 years. For the first eight years or so of their operation, I would describe it as a hobby operation. What that means is they had income from another source. And whether or not the farm made money was not that big of a deal to them. If you would have said how much money did they have to have from the farm in order to live, they would have said zero because they had enough income from another source, okay? So that was the first eight years of their history. Then, mid-2019, about a year and a half ago, their situation changed. And Vivian will share a little bit more about that when she comes up to share. But what happened is that the farm became their only source of income, okay? So you can probably imagine that's a significant change. Suddenly, the outlook is a little bit different. Um, the attempts that they had at record keeping, and we're talking right now about record keeping just within the family system. We'll talk about the business side of it in just a minute, but right now I'm focusing on the question for the family. The question is, what does it take? What does this farm have to produce in order for us to be able to live off of it, right? To get an answer to that question, that's what the whole title of the module is about. What will it take? So the attempts at record keeping for family finances, their personal finances that they had had over previous years, I would say had mixed results. And there was some, uh, some progress and some good things, but some level of discomfort. And again, Vivian will share more about that in just a minute. They also had a very strong aversion to debt. That's just a family value that's been in place for a long time. So that's a little bit about the history that they've had. So as we uh, go into our group and do a little bit of discussing on this question, let me introduce the question and, and then say a couple words about it. The question is, do you know how much money your business has to generate in order to be sustainable? Do you know the answer to that question? Okay. So you can scale it on a one to 10. If you have no idea, like you don't know if it's a dollar or a million dollars, then your answer is a one. Okay? If you know exactly what that number is and you've been through this whole exercise and you know you can give an answer right off, that's a 10. Okay? And there's lots of space between there. So just how well do you know that? Is it a 1, a 10, somewhere in between? Then if it's less than a 10 or less than even a 9 or an 8, like if it's kind of on the lower end, how could you make it more clear? Do you have any ideas or, or processes that you know you could go through to make it more clear if you wanted to? If you're on the higher end of that scale, how did you get there, right? What was your process? What did you learn along the way? So that's the question I'd like to have you discuss between yourselves. So a couple of choices. If you're here and you either are on a, f a farm that uh, you're relying on primarily for, its, uh, for your income source now, go ahead and use your own situation. 
right? Or if you're thinking about it, and this is very, it's a question that's very appropriate for your situation, answer this through the lens of your situation. If it doesn't connect with you or if you're not in this spot, think about the case study. Think about the Better Together Farm that we just went through. Think about these things that I've shared and answer the question for them. How well do you think they knew the answer to that question and what could they do, okay? So that way, even if you don't have a situation for yourself that fits, you can answer um, as best you can through the eyes of the case study. Does that make sense? Anybody need any clarification on that? Okay, very good. So let's take about five minutes or so. I will give you a kind of a verbal cue at about halfway point so if you, know, you can get an idea to make sure everybody gets a chance to share. But let's go ahead and discuss this question in your groups, your small groups, for just about five minutes. Okay, folks, let's begin winding down those small group conversations and go ahead and resituate yourselves and we'll come back together in the large group. Thank you for sharing. It's always hard to quit when you're uh, just in the middle of a, a good story or learning some good information. So what I'd like to do now is take just a few moments. Welcome to some of you who have come in just recently, by the way. Uh, good to have you here and it's nice to see the class filling out. I'd love to um, take a few minutes of large group sharing, and um, as I explained to people who were here early, and just in case you didn't um, uh, hear that part, I'm not shy about inviting people to share because I think there's benefit in sharing, but if you're just not comfortable or not ready to share, that's fine as well. But I think many times in small groups you surface stuff that would be valuable for the larger group to hear. So what I'm going to do is invite you to share either something that you thought was interesting or to invite somebody from your small group, say, hey, I never heard of that before, that was really good, right? So you can volunteer somebody else to share, and then if they don't want to share, they can still say, you know, I'm going to add, uh, get some people to join with me in this criminal investigation of, uh, you know, asking people to share. But anyways, always if you don't want to, that's fine. So anybody volunteer? Anybody have something particularly interesting that they think they would like to share with the group? Or you want to volunteer somebody from your group? Any volunteers? Okay. So, Sean, how about you? If I can reach you with the mic, it'd be better for you to speak into the mic, because then we get it on the recording. You know, one thing that just, I just was remembering, there's a thing in the E.G. White estate, it's called Mrs. White's Indebtedness. And I think I would encourage every Adventist to read it, because it's, she, she did not have a total aversion to debt. She, she just would leverage her assets in order to further God's work. So as we're thinking about furthering God's work, we need to make an increase. It feels like I may have about a six or a seven on that scale on where I feel like we need to land uh, as a minimum level. And, um, but I think we need to leverage whatever we can now to further the Lord's work. Do you have any next steps in mind specifically for getting from a six or a seven to an eight or a nine? Um, in, in comfort level? Yeah. And if not, that's okay. Just curious what you're thinking. You know, no, what's really coming out is like just building little pieces here. Like we're putting together a Shopify store and we're doing this. We're building something in Airtable to capture all of our production um, information, all of our planting, everything. And just, I don't know, there's just a lot of things to build up all at the same time. Yeah. So sure. grow something that makes money. <laughs> that's a good one right there. <laughs> grow something that makes money. Incremental steps are outstanding, by the way. And so I hope that you didn't miss that in what Sean said. Incremental steps are worth celebrating. Okay, anybody found the courage to volunteer in the last couple of minutes? How about you? And I can't quite reach your name. Is it Michael? Yeah. Anything you'd like to share in response to the question? And if not, that's okay. Yeah. Should I come back to you later? Okay. 
That's fine. Anybody else? Okay, to lady, what you guys talk about? Well, <laughs> I, I was thinking a family of five. <laughs> we were thinking, what do we need to be sustainable? With not so many debts, I don't think I have that many debts. I don't know. I think we say forty thousand dollars in Oklahoma um, for a family of five. In, I think I need to have that as a family for all our expenses. I already have the land and everything, so I don't know. I mean, if somebody has to start out with land, I mean that's going to be more. But sustainable, I need to make at least forty thousand dollars a year. And tell us a little bit about how you came to that number. Was it, did you just wake up one morning and it was there, or did you have some other process? How did you get to that number? Just a paragraph. Don't speak forever on that, because I know it can be detailed, yeah. but yeah. You mean how I came up to the $40,000 that yeah. we need? Well, because we, that's what we're spending right now. That's what we need right now to live. We have a budget. I did already, we already did a budget as a family, okay. and we came out with that money. We need at least $2,500 to $3,000 a month. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. And probably it's no surprise to anybody that that's where all this leads is you need a family budget, right? But Julady's already been down that road, so her number is pretty clear. Okay. Um, what I'm going to do now at this point is to invite Vivian to come up and tell you a little bit about what the Seiler family actually did. Okay. And so she'll share that part of the story. And then when, yeah, go ahead, Vivian. You know, about a year and a half ago, uh, my husband right, calls me. And um, after 25 years, he tells me, I just like, got let go from the company. You know, he lost his job. That was very hard for me. I was very angry. He had devoted himself to this company. And I had begged him to leave many times. <laughs> and he wouldn't leave the company because he was so devoted to it. And in the end... They let him go, and I'm like, you know, I'm sure some of you have gone through this. Anger, um, maybe a little bit of panic. Um, I figure he'd get another job, right? And we'd be fine again. Um, I, was, I wasn't too worried about finances, because I thought he'll get a job, and we'll just keep on moving. Um, Fortunately, we had no debt, um, and so uh, it took a little bit for me to catch my breath. I had been doing the finances for the home, like keeping record and getting all the receipts in and just, you know, making sure everything got paid and kind of having an idea how much we were spending, but I had not found that magic system that I could work with. And I actually came into the finances of the home very reluctant. I don't know if anybody else felt that way about finances, but I'd rather be involved in anything else but finances. Um, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, we were driving to Calacqua for um, actually the Aragua conference. And Abri and I were in the front driving, and Ricky and Alan were sitting in the back with a box and a computer entering the year receipts for that year for the farm. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way of doing this. 
you can't wait to January to enter all your receipts. And this is crazy. And so when we got back, I said, all right, I'm taking over the farm finance. I'm just, I'm, I know I can at least enter the receipts every month or every week, but not at the end of the year. <laughs> so they were very thankful. And I had a crash course on QuickBooks. QuickBooks? Yeah, QB. I just know QBO. <laughs> and um, we were very blessed to have a friend that manages her company with QuickBooks, and I could call her, you know, because there's just no manual for that thing. And I, I got going on that, and Aubrey jump in, and several months later start helping. And she's taking it over now, thank goodness. Um, but I wanted something like that for our family because I could understand that one, but the other systems I couldn't. Anyway, um, as you can see, I'm not the speaker of the home. I do grocery lists, and so my notes are on a grocery list pad. <laughs> um, my families are the speakers. Um, so uh, this, oh, coming into this year, um, I knew, well, back off, coming into this last year, I'm still in 2020, I, I knew I needed to do something. Rick had been giving a lump sum money like after let go of the company, and um, I was like, this has got to last at least six months before he gets a job. Um, so we started looking into what expenses we had, and fortunately, Keevan came in to our lives at the farm. I mean, he was with us at church and things like that, but he came um, to work at the farm volunteer, and he became our consultant, and he became Aubrey and mine tutor and finance and all that kind of stuff. And it was just God saying, I go, Kevin, help me. So he goes, okay, you have all this, all this record keeping. Keep, figure this out. Let's figure this out. And so we started working with it and laid out a plan as far as taking the lump sum of money and dividing it, um, knowing our expenses, how much we would spend a month kind of thing and then um, dividing what we have by that. And we were blessed that we could make it last for a year. So the year is up in this April or May, something like that. Um, so we've been working at this now for a year. Uh, in April will be a year that we would be working together on this family budget um, well, and, and record keeping in the system that worked for me, for my brain. Um, and so I want to show you just a little sample of that. Um, thank you. And um, yeah, so this is just a little snippet of a monthly um, that we needed to raise, right? Um, home utilities, 164, MediShare. I don't know if you guys have health insurance, but that's our health insurance, which kind of an interesting health insurance, but anyway. And then pets, $20. We have pets. We have three pets. <laughs> and so um, you would need to do it however you need to do it. You know, you, you, uh, you come up with the things that you spend on and then a monthly, how much would you be paying on that? I took out my, like, all the fixed things, like electrical or internet. So home utilities is my internet, my, my phone, my uh, electricity, 
we don't pay on water. Okay. Okay. Anyway, that's what I have under that category. You would have your own categories, and we're not going to get into those details right now because each one of you have your own, you know. But the most important thing I can tell you, if you've never done a budget, is start keeping records of your spending. Okay, general expenditures and then ex extra expenditures, and you start getting a picture of of what, how much you're spending, and that helped us to see how much we needed to have a month. And then, after we had this idea of how much we needed to spend a month, we start tightening the screw. <laughs> what can we give up? What can we change? Let's change our internet, our phone service to something cheaper that we can afford. Um, and um, we, we did that, and, and the system works, the phone system works half of the time, but at least it's there when we sometimes need it. Um, it's my pet peeve on the phone thing. But, um, and then um, what we did after that, went to, until we tightened things up a little bit more where we felt that we could still fall under that budget uh, to make it last for a year for us, we decided to, uh, at that point, we presented it to the family. And we said, okay, guys, this is what we came up with. How do you feel about it? How do you think? And um, the kids, Aubrey and Alan, and you know, everybody felt, okay, let's, let's give it a go. That, that seems like a very small amount of money to live per month, but let's give it a try, okay? And so everybody has been very helpful to keep us into, in that budget. And so I, I felt like buying, having the family buy into it was a major thing for our family, you know, just making sure that we were all good with this because this is an adventure our family is taking together. And um, I can tell you that almost a year into it, it's actually so cool <laughs> to see um, that's the pain, you know, the how we're spending, how it's really reduced because we're all in this together, right? And um, the credit card bill that used to be, because I don't like using cash. I, I, I don't like carrying cash. So that's just me. You guys can do whatever. I like credit cards because I can keep better record of things. And we're very, very self-controlled with the credit cards. So we always pay our credit card every month. So we don't, you know, that's, that's just, we deal with it as if it was cash kind of thing. And so, um, uh, you know, it used to be a certain amount of money a month that came through that credit card, and now it's a third or less than half a month. Um, and so that's really exciting because then you start getting really motivated. Man, we, we're doing this. You know, it's, it's working really well. Uh, there's things I have to adjust. I'm not very good with a food budget because co-ops come in and it kind of throws you off. But at the end of the year and next few weeks, we're going to work on getting everything uh, resolved on our budget, but I think we're going to come out really well for this year, and in fact, um, you will hear a little bit more um, that we are blessed that the farm has made enough finances this year that has thrown us a few months ahead, so we are ahead now probably to October as far as paying into coming back. You know, that needs to come back, so it keeps us afloat for the next. So, what has this done for me? 
it's being a filter. When I go to the store, when I see magazines, when um, things come up, I'm looking at it through my budget filter. I can wait, I can do without, I can, I can make this work, I don't need it now, okay? It's help create a hedge for our whole family, right? So when we're going out, oh, can we make that trip? It's not in the budget, you know about it. So I share the budget with everybody. They have a, a link to it. They can go in there and see how it's all working out and they can see wh where we're at at the time. It's giving us peace that you know, it's, we're working forward, and it's made it um, a team to achieve this goal. So budgets are not that bad after all. There's something really positive about it. Of all of the Seiler family, when I invited them to recruit, when I recruited them to help me with this presentation, the one that was the least excited about getting up in front and cheering anything was Vivian. So I think Vivian deserves a special round of applause for the courage that she showed in being up here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, let me underscore a couple of things that, that Vivian said that I think are really key. First of all, if you don't do anything else but you want just a small step or a budget seems like too much, incremental steps are good. Start with keeping records. And even if it's something as simple as, I don't know if I can ever do a budget, but I could look at last month's bank statement and last month's credit card statement and figure out how much it, how much it cost me to live last month. Could you do that? That's a start, okay? So don't be shy about taking incremental steps and celebrating success, right? I think it was really key also that she engaged the family, right? She told you about that and she emphasized how important it was. I would underscore that. If you have the team around you all bought in to whatever the boundary is, your chances of success go much higher and whatever happens, you're in it together. And then one other thing, um, Vivian, did you share the results or if you didn't come up with a number, what was your family's number? You willing to share that with the group? Yeah, for your family. They actually came up with a number. This is how much per month it's gonna take us to live. And I just wanna make sure that the audience hears that. Um, we came up with $2,750. $2,750 a month. And I want you to hear that number because it's gonna be an important element of the next module that we do which we will undertake as soon as we come back from a break and get started with module number two. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.